Hello and welcome to episode 10 of season 2. This is your host, Alicia K. Hurst. For today's episode, we have Rocco Paolo. He is an entertainer. He channels his creativity in lots of different ways, and I can't wait for you to listen to how he does that and how he has navigated through life while staying true to his own voice and his own vision. Uh, He gives great advice and wisdom uh, about navigating the creative business side of things. And he also talks about his uh, conversations with a Sumerian guide. (laughs) In addition to collaborating with others, and I mean, it is just jam-packed. So without further ado, Rocco Powell. Welcome, Rocco Palo, to the show. And I'm not going to give you a title because you've got lots of creative hats. So if you don't mind kind of giving us a picture about how was, what did you start off creating when you were younger? Well, I picked up the guitar around the age of 16. So there was no, nobody musical in my family whatsoever. But I've always been like a big fan of Elvis, you know, and there was other artists as well that I was fans of. And I was like to sing, you know, the, the typical, you know, hairbrush, mirror, in the shower, all that stuff. But I found that I always leaned towards kind of coming up with my own melodies, coming up with my own words. I wasn't um, really into doing covers. So even when I picked up my guitar at 16, I was pretty much writing songs right away. You know, I wrote my, my first song at 16. And then I started going into the studio around the age of 18, going into a studio just to do demo tapes. And and the thing is, I would always, I know I have a wide range of styles that I like. So, you know, I was listening to Elvis. I was always listening to U2. I was listening to uh, Prince. So I was kind of all over the place. So I liked, you know, Michael Jackson. There was a bunch of different artists that I liked. So I didn't really write in one particular style, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, came, came to mind. And so I did that for a while. So I was doing demo tapes. Then I started getting into acting. I like to, to do some acting as well. That also led to, I think, probably later in life, I decided to start doing short films. So I've been writing, you know, short films, filming them, sending them out to festivals. I haven't done one in the last couple of years, but some of them have had some, some pretty good uh, feedback at different festivals around the world. Hmm. And, uh, you know, then there was the books. I started, there was the, the first book I wrote was because we did a trip in Europe with our children, which were, uh, I think, age of four and two. And I think by day three, I started, you know, there's all this kind of Murphy Law things happening and there was just all this chaos going on. So I said, this is like, this is too funny. So I started doing a diary. So I did a diary of our whole trip. Then a few years later, I just pieced it all together and put it out as a book. So it's, it's called, uh, you know, young gallivanting with young children through Europe. Oh. And because, you know, there's other people that I knew that had kids and they're just like, oh, you know, we can't travel with children. You know, we don't know how to do that. And I'm like, well, pick up my book. <laughs> <laughs> like been there. There's, there's ways to do it. 
because I remember even before having children, we, we had the discussion of like, oh, now we're going to have kids or we're just never going to travel again. So let's do one big last trip. And then it just never stopped. Like, you know, it's, and we're, we're not talking about this all inclusive kind of vacation. That's, that's simple. We're talking about, you know, traveling through different cities, different towns, you know, three days here, four days there, just going a bit everywhere with young kids is, is, is a challenge, right? And, you know, we did it and we never stopped. We never, we never looked back. But that's such a great point that you bring up too, because a lot of people do see lifestyle with young kids. It's like they do put up these automatic boundaries to, because they don't think they can do it or that it's going to be too, it's not going to be worth the trouble. Yeah. Um, so it's great that you put a book out there to help people be like, no, you can, it's okay. <laughs> And it's like, it's actually, it was, it's been a lot of fun. Like, I mean, my, my children now are much older. They're, you know, they got the travel bug. They're, you know, they're looking at different kinds of trips they want to do. And so they're constantly thinking about travel. For me, travel is very um, important to me. It's, it's, it's educational, right? I mean, you're going around the world, you're meeting new people, different cultures, the best school in the world, in my mind. Hmm. No, I, I really, I totally agree. And I wish it was in, more included with, I don't know how to word that. I wish uh, schools included it more <laughs> rather than field trips to, you know, the aquarium. I'm not saying that's not great, but it'd be awesome <laughs> if they could go to other countries or somehow. Yeah. And then because, so you mentioned that you, there were no musicians in your family. Were any of your family members artsy in any way or creative in any way? Just no, there's nobody that's nobody at all. My family, so I don't know where I, I got it from. Cause I, I consider myself like, especially with music, more of a channeler. Like I don't, I find these ideas come to me and I'm just kind of like, it's coming in from somewhere. I like to call it the Akashic Records. Uh, I don't know if you're mm. familiar with the Akashic Records, but when I found out about the Akashic Records, which is pretty much, I guess the easiest way to describe it is just like, you know, the soul's internet, right? It's basically every, all the information is out there and it's just a matter of whether or not you're able to uh, receive it. And because there's some songs, I mean, I'm just sitting there and it just come out so easily. I'm just like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like even my like melodies come out just out of nowhere. And I'm just like... I, you know, I, I don't understand it sometimes, like how, how I'm able to do it. And then so I, I one, at one point I thought it was just normal, like, you know, and then when I started working with different artists, because I started taking some courses as becoming a sound engineer and I would be like, okay, uh, we're just going to test the microphone. Can you sing something into the microphone? And the singer's just standing there. And I'm like, say, sing something. He goes, well, what am I supposed to sing? And I said, anything, just sing into the microphone. It could be, you know, just make it up. And they couldn't do it. Oh, uh, and I'm just like, so I would tell them what to sing. Like I say, okay, well, what song? Take a song from your set list, and and he goes, yeah, but you know, my band's not with. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> so I couldn't understand it, and and so yeah, that's when I started realizing, okay, this is actually not something that everybody can do. So whenever I'd go to like a jam session somewhere, like you know, there'd be like bars that would have like blues nights. So they have, you know, people on stage and I'll say, okay, uh, what song do you want to sing? And I'm like, I don't know, just play and I'll make up words. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, the whole point of this, right? Let's improv. Like, I don't, what's the point of going to a blues night with a bunch of musicians if you're just going to play songs that you know? Like, I didn't see the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. Just make it up, like play something in A, whatever, and off we go. And... Right. I thought that was a jam session. I exactly. guess I'm... <laughs> 
but I've, I've been to blues, um, blues nights where basically the full bands would go up. Like they all knew each other. They would go up there and they'd okay. play three or four songs from their, from their set list. I'm like, what? Like, that's not, a... <laughs> it's like you guys know each other and you guys have been playing this song for the last 15 years. Like, come on, let's, let's, let's grab you from that band, that guy from that other band. Let's go up there and just, you know, pick a, a tempo, you know, amongst ourselves. Somebody, you know, does a, a finger snap and off we go. <laughs> That's interesting. You're almost acting like a, I'm seeing like an image of a, a lightning bolt, but I don't know if it's that intense, but it's almost like you're, you're helping shake things up with people's routines. It's like you come in and it's like, hello, no yeah. routines. <laughs> I, I do that a lot. And so, you know, and for example, my daughter, this, this killed me once where I was just in my uh, small little studio room in my, my house and I'm playing away on the guitar and I'm hearing a melody, like I stopped playing and my daughter, she was probably like four. I brought her into the studio room and we just recorded. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm like, listen, look, look at my wife. I'm like, look, <laughs> she's, <laughs> I think she inherited something because she's just making things up on her own. So That's amazing. And what, and that's such a, I, I imagine you'd have to be really present to, to get there. You like, you just have to be to to go with or to just hear things and then play it you have to be open because otherwise you're automatically thinking about what you already know or what you've already played and and there's a difference between you know kind of there's a difference between leaning on what you already know and then just being open so what comes in and, and playing and I, that aspect of creativity, because uh, you're touching upon, because you mentioned the Akashic Records, which is more, I don't even know if it's spiritual, like it's spiritual, but I th- to me, it's energy, basically. You're tapping into energy that's there and it's, it's translating in, in information for you to, which you then expressed through music or writing it sounds like you just are open to all the creative channels <laughs> yeah I, I i try to be like i said i don't like to i mean there was one point when i was working in a studio where i became work in a sense that they would come to me and say okay these are songs and we want them i want you to write something that that's like this that was work and it mm-hmm. was and it was after a while just becoming you know i, I couldn't handle it right because it was just there was no creativity. Like I basically was just copying what was there. And yes, I was able to do it, but I wasn't happy about it. Like it was sort of like, this is not, like it wasn't coming to me naturally and it was taking longer to do. Mm-hmm. Forced into, you know, same thing like doing covers, you know, where basically I got to learn somebody else's words, try to sing it like they sing it. You know, certain songs, fine. Uh, and that's why I sort of like the blues because blues, when I would do that as covers, is first of all, the majority of people didn't really know a lot of the songs that I was choosing. We did some standards that people knew, but a lot of the songs were obscure and we did them in a different way. So at least for me, I didn't have to sing it with the same phrasing as the the singer would sing it. And that for me was sort of like why, for example, I like Elvis Presley is if I listened to like, for example, the original version of Hound Dog versus what he did with it, completely two different songs like he just he he felt the music you know he might not have written a song he might not have I mean yes he played some guitar some piano so he did have some talent there but he was able to make a song his own 
So he was able to deliver an emotion like, so when I listen to his stuff and that's what I, you know, even when I'm, I've done Elvis impersonations too, by the way. So oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. and, but I don't try to sound like Elvis, but because he was one of my first real influences and our tone is, is similar as far as, you know, and I've sung many of his songs, like I said, with the hairbrush that, you know, I, I think at one point I just said, you know what? I go, there's so many Elvis Presley impersonators out there. I said, let me just go out there and have some fun. And, and it was a lot of fun and it's been a lot of fun and I still do it when I can just because you, you cannot even like the, the, the reactions are just incredible. Like, I mean, for like a small moment, the people feel that Elvis is in the room mm. and, and it's like to bring that kind of joy to somebody is like, it's, I mean, there was one place, one place I did it was actually like in a, in a library, right? It's a library and they were opening it up or whatever. It was like, you know, 50 year anniversary of the library or something like that. And after I performed, I was told that, I, and unfortunately I didn't get to see the woman, but I was told that there was a 90 year old woman that, you know, that came and, and made sure she was sitting near the front and that she was actually dancing around, you know, in her chair and, and, oh. and I was like, why didn't you tell me this? Like, because <laughs> I kind of zone out when I do any, a lot, even when I'm performing, you know, my original songs, I just zone out. I, I'm on stage and I just become a whole different person. And, and, and I just do my, my show. Yes, I interact with the audience, but it's, but it's, I, I'm sort of like in a different space completely. So I, w- I was really like, you know, not, not too happy with the fact that this woman was there. She was, completely into it and then I didn't get a chance to you know be with her so <laughs> but that's also interesting that you talk about zoning out because I've heard other people talk about that it's almost like you be, I don't even it's almost like you become more than yourself but you're also completely yourself at the same time how do you explain it or how would you describe it it's hard because I mean I can be an introvert at times obviously when I grew up I was very very shy but as soon as you put me on the stage, I mean, forget it. It's like, I'm all over the place. You know, you, it's like, there's never enough room on a stage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just from, I just go all over the place and it's just people like, oh my God, you're just, you're nuts up there. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, the music just takes me over and I feel the music. Right. So, and I sing it the way I feel it. So, you know, some people say, yeah, you know, sometimes you're singing off key and, and this is not, I'm like, but how was the performance or whatever? And they're like, oh, we, had, we, we loved it. It was, you know, so, you know, I, I, I put more emphasis on the energy and the emotion versus all the technical aspects of, of music. Even if, you know, the song is, you know, not going at the right speed or whatever, it doesn't really bother me. And it doesn't bother the majority of the audience. It's, it's really just the musicians that happen to be in the same room who will say something. I'm like, and I always bring it down to, for example, if you take Prince, his first number one hit was uh, When Doves Cry. Hmm. When Doves Cry, there's no bass. There's no bass line. Like, you know, he recorded that song and everybody was telling him, you cannot release this song the way it is. You, there's no bass line. Like, no, what song has no bass line? Huh. But this one. And it was his first number one hit, right? <laughs> so I'm like, sometimes you just got to think, you always have to think outside the box, always. That's a great, I didn't know about that. That's a, that's a great example. I mean, because yeah, what if 
artists or people who were doing something that they were listening to their own creative voice and then they said no let me listen to these other people who say I can't do this so many things would not have been boundaries wouldn't have been pushed new musical genres wouldn't have been made <laughs> I'm curious because you're you're talking about making movies and writing and music and hip-hop and I would think that your children would feel lucky to have a parent like you because you would you would encourage their creative and playfulness side or and and keep on encouraging instead of um, stopping it at a certain age like some people or institutions do. Yeah, my son picked up well through YouTube. He bought himself a you know digital piano and and self taught on on YouTube, and now he's also writing right. So and one of the first songs was and he's doing instrumentals. He's very much into since he's playing piano but he's very much into like soundtracks. I've introduced him to some, some artists that I felt would probably, because uh, he's looking at the emotion. He likes like classical music because he likes the way it's very dramatic. So I said, well, you got to listen to Ra- Radiohead. <laughs> you yeah. you got to listen to Cigarras. So I'm like, I'm giving him like some bands where, that he's you know now a big fan of. And we wrote a track together. So he did the piano. I, I laid down the, the digital violin, since I don't play violin, <laughs> but did the keyboards. So we'll hopefully release that soon. He's got like enough songs to definitely do an EP for sure. Oh, beautiful. That's exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, that's awesome. And then, so, and I imagine you yourself have to kind of keep in, t- in touch with your own like childlike self. Do you have a preference for one outlet or is it, does it really depend on your mood or how does that work for you? It depends on my mood. And and if I look, for example, like music definitely is something that I really love just because it just comes naturally. Like there's no, there's no work in in my mind. There's no work to be done other than when you're doing the mix and mastering and, you know, the recording aspect is definitely work because you're, you know, trying to get it not necessarily a a perfect product, but in my mind, I don't want to get a perfect product. I just want to get something that I, you know, I'm proud of, Hmm. but you know, I, I do like the other stuff that I do like, and I did take a break from music for about 10 years. Hmm. Uh, And that was because like I had mentioned to you earlier that when I was working in a studio and, and just, you know, coming out with, you know, basically cook a cutter songs, I just had it and I just quit the business completely. And for 10 years, I was like depressed, I guess. I didn't realize it. It got worse and worse and I didn't realize why. And then I rediscovered music again. The song that uh, made me rediscover it, it was somebody had sent me an email about uh, a story that happened like 10 years earlier. It was uh, James Bulger was a story from a, a boy in uh, England who, who was dragged away by two older boys and they, and they murdered him, right? It just, it hit me hard for some reason. And I just went to my keyboard, dusted it off, wrote a song, put it on, on the internet. Eventually got to the ears of James's mother, which we actually met for the first time like two years ago. So it's, you know, it's like, and that like brought me back into, into music. And, and I haven't looked back since. So it's like, there were, so a, a part of me is wondering if I'm coming up with all these songs now because they were just kind of like sitting somewhere in a cloud, uh, not the cloud that we call today, but <laughs> the cloud somewhere in the sky that was sort of saying, hey, you know, when are you going to wake up? 
because there's a bunch of songs that need to be done. So I've been writing like crazy now and it's, it's, but it feels great. So that's my favorite outline. And that's, I mean, that's so important to talk about too, because I bet you're not the only person who has a love of creative process and, and music and writing and but then they go and they look for jobs and they have to conform or feel like they have to conform to a certain way of doing things. And it, I mean, just when you're talking about it, it's like your soul was dying just talking about it. I, I, I can imagine that would bring on some depression. And then it sounds like you found your own, your own voice or type of, of expressing yourself and, and then you haven't looked back since. But it sounds like it energizes you is what I guess I'm trying to say, because it's you said you have things still in the in the works and it's all coming out. Do you feel different? Do you feel more energized as com- compared to when you were working 10 years ago? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the first product that came out of there was a, a full album and it was and it was just basically songs that that were kind of that had either a muse or were very, you know, like important. Like, for example, The Birth of My Son, there's a song on there about that. Uh, birth of my daughter so there's all the songs have you know very emotional feeling for me and so recording that album and also like again when we're talking about you know synergy or 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 things it was just like there was a guitarist for example that I got to know many many years ago we lost touch and I couldn't get a hold or find him but I really you know I put the message out there into the universe I want this guy on my album like he has to be on my album this guy's you know, worked with Jeff Healy's, worked with David Bowie. And I was just like, I want him on my album. So at one point, this is back in the day of MySpace, I found somebody that he was working with, a bass player. So I sent an email to the bass player and I said, hey, can you forward my email? I go, I know you don't know who I am. Just, I know him, send this to, send this to Tony, tell him, blah, blah. He goes, he used to do shows in Montreal and I used to go to his shows. Like, you know, this, will he remember me? I don't know. So anyways, I go, here's my phone number. So I sent him my phone number. And, but the thing is, when I wrote my phone number, I was so used to writing my phone number partially in numbers and partially in letters because mm-hmm. I, because my phone number had Rocco in, in the lettering. Like if you, the old phones where you had the ABC and all that stuff on it. All right. <laughs> so I think it was, in fact, it was in February of 2008, or was it 2009, around there. All of a sudden, I get a phone call. I'm looking at the number. It's a long distance number. Pick it up. It's, it's the guitar player, right? Oh, so wow. it's Tony. He's calling me. And he goes, you know, he goes, I was going in and deleting a bunch of emails. And he goes, I saw your email. And I go, and it said for me to contact you. But he goes, I didn't see a phone number. So he goes, I'm about to delete it. And then I realized, hey, maybe those letters and numbers is, <laughs> is a phone number. <laughs> So I dialed it and I said, great. I said, listen, I go, I'm finalizing my album in the next month. I go, and at, and for some reason, I actually had one studio time a year earlier uh, in his town, right? He lives in Toronto. So I had one studio time. So I said, this is perfect. I go, I have the studio time in Toronto. I go, and he's not calling. And he says, yes, I'm ready to record. And I was just like, just because I sent the message, you know, yes, I sent the message to the bass player, but like I said, he had received it and he was ready to delete it months later, but I had put a message to the universe. I said, I want him on my album and got him to be on the album. Right. So that for me was a dream come true. That's um, amazing. Yeah. 
So for me, that's, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's just by putting a message out there, if you really believe in something or you're, you, you're positive thinking, things happen. Oh, I totally agree. It's interesting. And I know it's interesting you keep bringing emails up because I do, because it kind of connects to your next year, the book you wrote, the, is it Damu? Damu? The Damu Chronicles. The Damu Chronicles, emails with a Sumerian guide. I mean, apparently emails are important (laughs) in your career. But I do, I really enjoy that you're talking about this kind of connection with the universe and, and the, the space we can't see. Because I think no matter what creative outlet you're using, there is that connection in, in, as part of the creative process. There's you and, the, and then the, the creative outlet, whether it's writing, painting, dancing, and then there's something else. Because it's some, that something else I think is also part of what connects to other people too. Like there's a bigger picture that we're not aware of. Just like the lady that really enjoyed your Elvis impersonation. Like, you know, you were just having fun, but it also was really helping and connecting to other people. Yeah. And the song for the piano song you, or you wrote for, what was this? Yes. And then you got to actually meet them. I mean, that's, that's gorgeous. Those connections are just invaluable. Yeah. So the book I'm bringing up because that also has to deal with connections to the unseen, the universe. Would you mind talking about that? Yeah. The Demu Chronicles. And of course, you know, people automatically say emails from a Sumerian God. I, you know what? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like why, why would a God email? I'm like, well, why are the, why is the God that you believe in speaking through, for example, at one point in the Bible, uh, through a donkey, right? So, you know, you're going to get communications from, from different uh, sources. And, uh, you know, right now, internet is where we're at. And this was actually around the beginning of, of internet. I think this, this happened around the year 2000, 2003, somewhere in that, you know, so we're probably like, I think at work, I started having internet around 1997, 1998. So, you know, I'm still like in the first five years of, of internet. Now, the Dino Chronicles wasn't something that happened to me. It happened to a coworker. Basically, we had very much a connection because we, we were always talking about either supernatural or or uh, conspiracy theories and stuff like that. So we had a connection just because we had that kind of communication. So what ended up happening is at one point he came to me and he said, Rocco, ha ha ha, like I got your email. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, that email, he goes, it had to come from you. He goes, you know, we're the only two that always have this kind of conversation. He goes, but he goes, I said, forward me the email. So he forwarded me the email and it was a long email, very long email. Um, basically just telling him to stop spreading lies about different things, right? Uh, that he didn't, you, you don't understand the way the universe works and whatever. And it's like, just stop what you're doing and whatever. And just went into a big, long kind of rant in a way, just kind of just saying, you know, just, just chill kind of thing. So I'm reading it, but it's written in, in a very interesting tone and so I'm reading the whole thing and so I'm telling him, this is not me. I didn't write this. I don't know what you're talking about. He still thinks it's me. So I said, you know what? I said, I don't, I don't, I don't care who it is or who you think it is. 
write back. So you have to write back. We have to get more emails from this source, whether it's, I go, I don't know where the information is coming from, but yeah. I said, it's very, very interesting information. So he started writing, he started, you know, showing me the emails. I started printing the emails. I started passing them out to other coworkers who couldn't put it down. Cause they're just like, oh my God, you know, this is incredible stuff. So as it continued on, it was, what was being revealed was that this entity was, had taken over somebody's persona or taken over somebody's body and using that as his outlet to send off these emails. So that was the, the initial, uh, you know, thing saying I'm pretty, pretty much possessing somebody and I'm sending off this information. And the information was a lot of it was completely different from anything I've ever heard of before. And it just kind of, you know, for example, you know, and, it, and it's something that I hear about quite a bit now too, is like, if you take the, the grays, right, which the grays are the aliens with the big bug eyes that, you know, probe people and that they've, you know, been basically everything to do with, you know, abduction has been associated with the grays. So this, like I said, was early 2000. And what the writings uh, from the Damu Chronicles indicate is that they're just us from the future. And that's something that people are, are actually starting to, at least people that are looking into the greys are actually leaning towards and, and saying that they're getting more and more indication that greys are not actually aliens. They're actually future, they're our future selves. But in the early 2000s, I had never heard that. Like that wasn't even, that wasn't even brought up. So, so now that I hear other people saying stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, well, that was in my, you know, that was in, in the conversations we had with uh, this entity who eventually revealed themselves as Damu. And again, I had to look up, I, could, I had a hard time. We're talking about the early days of the internet. So it was not easy to find information as it is today. Not to mention now you're finding a lot of misinformation, unfortunately. You know, the, with the Damu Chronicles, you know, so he revealed himself as Damu. And when I looked, I was like, it's kind of an insignificant, like if I was going to pick one, I'd pick one of the ones that everybody's heard of, or, you know, that had more appeal. And, you know, he had indicated that he was uh, a younger God than the other ones. He, but the thing I also liked in all the communications, which the majority are in the book, they're not all in the book. The majority of them, like, I didn't see any contradictions. Like there mm -hmm. was no indication throughout this whole complicated exchange. There was nothing like I can read the Bible and basically the first chapter and the second chapter, I already see contradictions, right? Because one will say man was created before animals and the other one will say animals were created. So basically it's the, it's the reverse. So I'm like, I go, I'm just in the first two chapters of the Bible and already you see a contradiction. Was man created before animals or animals created before man? Because they're both there in the first two chapters. So I'm like, and I'm just, you know, chapter two. So that for me was very intriguing because there was many a times in the conversations that my friend was was trying to say like, yeah, but you said this, this, and this. And he, and you know, the email coming back saying, no, I didn't say that, that, and that, this is what I said. And, and so he kept on sticking to his, his story, but always adding a little bit more and more. And it just became, it was just very, very intriguing. Just the whole concept of, of who we are, why we're here and all that stuff is, is covered in there in a way that I've never seen or heard before. 
That's so interesting. So your friend, did you and your friend write it or is this you just writing it and then? Well, that's, I mean, after everything was said and done, basically I had told him, I said, I'd like to turn this into a book. And then he basically said, yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it. So I, we haven't had much communication in the last four years or so. He does, he is aware I did write the books. I had sent him basically a link for it and just let him know that the book's out there. And of course the book, I think in the beginning indicates that there's, you know, he was, he's basically like a consultant on it because I had written a book in a way where it's basically telling the story of the two of us, the other people that got involved in in it. Cause even at one point people just said, Hey, we have a bunch of questions. <laughs> and so we go, here are the questions. You have to send them off to whoever this guy is. Cause we love this. Mm-hmm. So it got, it got pretty, there was quite a few of us involved by the end uh, of, of it all. That's wonderful. I mean, congratulations to you to getting it out there too, because not, I don't think any, everyone would do that. And I think it's so interesting that you were part of this because I'm wondering it's it's like you know did that entity know that you were going to write it (laughs) (laughs) like that you're somehow would get to because if you're emailing someone it must be I doubt the the intention would be just to get to that one person unless that one person could get the information out there to other people I don't know though of course (laughs) that's it we don't know and it's there was a couple of twists in 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 the story so it just but everything in there is 100 true i have no problems doing a lie detector test i would do it in in a heartbeat and like i said after everything was said and done a part of me was just afraid to even kind of look at it it was so there was times during this whole thing that i had shivers right Mm. and even at one point yeah i'd have to say that i felt like something was kind of taking me over at one point, this is, you know, people are going to say, Hey, you're just crazy Rocco. <laughs> but there was a moment and it's a moment actually it's in the book that it's indicated near the end of the book where I was kind of questioning and saying, you know, prove, prove that, you know, this is all real and that I was kind of shown something and basically brought into the for a split second, let's say, kind of given kind of given a vision of 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 what you know to to kind of prove it to me that this was not bs right and that's really that's also part of the reason i wanted to bring it up because i bet that there's people out there who have a great imagination but also are connecting to another realm or another dimension or I don't, you know, whatever you call it and getting visions or hearing voices and they're not, they don't know what they're tapping into and they may think that they're crazy, which is why I love that you're talking about this because that doesn't necessarily mean that you're crazy because you're seeing things or hearing things. Of course, if they're telling you to hurt yourself or others, that's another story, but there's, you know, I mean, there are channelers on YouTube. There are people who say they channel information from different entities and this is, I love that those, you know, I haven't heard too much about channeling through emails, but that's, that's another form of energy though, right? It's through a computer and, and being translated into words. And then you were mentioning visions. And then also, I think you mentioned channeling through music. So I, I just thank you for talking about this aspect of creativity, because that's, I, I actually think that's where 
we're kind of headed to as a as a human race is is learning more about that connection and using it more. Yeah, and I do believe that, like I said, we we tap into things and sometimes we take full credit for it, not realizing that we've tapped into something. And then there's, like I said, there's other situations where people will automatically associate something with whatever their belief system is, right? Like for example, if there's three, I don't know, ghost-like things in front of me, uh, and there's three of us and you have one person who's Catholic and you have, you know, another person that's something else and you have an atheist, they're going to see the three things differently. It's the exact same thing. You might all see it. One person is going to say, okay, that's obviously Jesus or Virgin Mary. The other one's going to say, oh, it's got to be an alien. And the other one's going to say, oh, that's my dead relative, right? So, right. but they're all seeing the same thing. It doesn't mean that they're all wrong. It just means that it's, you're all, you all are having an experience. It's just that you know, your brain is usually going to associate it with what you, what your belief system is, right? It's going to, it's going to trigger that. So your, your, the brain for me is like the most powerful, you know, uh, thing that, that exists out there. And I believe in the universal mind, which is sort of like the Kajik records where we're able to tap into things. I used to call it the universal mind and it changed to the Kajik records when I heard about that, but it's pretty much my thing is that we can all tap into this kind of stuff. That's why you even have, for example, situations where you know somebody falls into a coma they wake up and they're speaking a foreign language and people say how the hell and these are these are actual true stories like mm. you know somebody wakes up he's speaking german but he's american you got to kind of say like how the hell did that happen that's because right. you tapped into something right you tapped into somewhere in the kajik records or somewhere you tapped into something and now you're speaking fluent german like it's you know or or these savants or or, or kid geniuses and I do find that the young, I mean, there was a lot of experience that I had as, you know, up, up to around the age of five. I find that, unfortunately, as a species, we, we lose our connection with, with everything just because we start to fill our, our brain and our mind and our days with a lot of filler. And that filler just clouds your abilities, right? So as a child, you have more connections to the world and the universe and you know sometimes when you see a three-year-old child staring at a wall right <laughs> they're not staring at the wall right uh, i just find that they're more open because their mind is open like it hasn't been flooded with with all our day-to-day -day agendas and everything else yeah and I, which i think is so interesting now that there's a trend going towards you know, meditation and they're finding how valuable that is and how it actually does affect your brain and your health. And, and yeah, that's so, that's so cool that you're bringing all of this up. I am curious, what would you call yourself? Cause I know you, uh, do you call yourself anything? Cause when I think of you and, and kind of you tapping into all this, these kinds of things and also expressing it through singing and writing and songwriting and video, or I'm sorry, movies, screenwriting and and novels and rapping and hip-hopping I think of yourself just as a creator but what how do you think of yourself well my Facebook page is Rocco Paulo entertainer because I just couldn't think of another I I entertain and I just find like I, I've done stand-up comedy as well oh <laughs> nice very cool <laughs> pretty much covered everything that I can think of on the you know on the spectrum of, of the arts and in the end it really is about I've been touched by what I receive. I'm now channeling it out and then somebody else is getting touched by it. 
And when I hear of somebody, you know, contacting me or whatever, saying, you know what, your, your song has this meaning for me, or, you know, uh, you know, I really enjoyed this or just, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, last week I, I pulled out this old thing that you did and, you know, and it just, you know, sparked a bunch of memories. And that for me, that's, that's the biggest gift. You know, you can give me a royalty check. Yeah. Great. But you know, knowing that somebody's been touched by something that I've created, I mean, there's there's no price to that. And I think that's the exciting part too, because you never know who you're going to touch or how it's going to work out, right? Or how it's going to unfold after you put it out there. So there's a bit of mystery, mystery and uh, adventure there. And then if you don't mind, I'd love to go over the questions that you answered over what is creativity and what do you love about creativity? So the one, the first one is what is creativity? And you said the ability to channel art into something that invokes emotion. So my question to you for that one, if you don't invoke emotion, does that mean, what does that mean to you? Is it not creativity then or? Well, it's not, it's not creativity, but the thing is, you know, like for myself and everybody's different, but some modern art where, where I walk into, um, a museum and it's just this blank canvas and everybody's staring at it and saying how how much they're feeling a part of me is just like this is the emperor's new clothes like this is <laughs> this is not you're not feeling anything here but you want to be part of the gang that feels i could be wrong but i'm like it literally is just white on white right so it's just it just <laughs> looks like a canvas i bought in a store but yet it's selling for ten thousand dollars and for me yeah, I mean, it's somebody's creation, somebody's art, but I'm like, really? Like, a part of me is just like, the fact that everybody's standing there staring at it and saying, oh my God, this is like the best thing I've ever seen. I'm like, have you seen the Mona Lisa? Have you, <laughs> have you seen some stuff that's out there? Any Picasso maybe? Some Dolly? I don't know, something that actually is is something? So yeah, so for me, that doesn't uh, evoke any kind of emotion. It just basically, I find that you're just playing with, you know, the, the crowd and trying to be, part of the, oh, look at me, I see it, you don't see it, you know, because I, I know art. <laughs> right, or testing the market, right, to see what you can get away with. <laughs> well, now, I mean, look at this digital stuff, right? I mean, it was $3 million for the first tweet, right? Somebody paid $3 million because mm -hmm. now you can buy this digital art. Oh. I'm just like, this, I'm, I'm like, there's a reason why we'll never get rid of a famine. <laughs> There's a reason why we will never, you know, poverty, all this stuff. You just pay $3 million for the first ever tweet that I can get on the internet because I could find it. But yeah, but mine is not, it's not coded as the original. <laughs> so people are now selling stuff like that, right? Where you just, I mean, wow. somebody sold a digital house for 600,000 Canadian. I'm like, really? Like, so, so now you own like basically a, a Minecraft. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. What yeah, so this new trend that's going on where basically people are, you know, buying even like clips of like basketball players, you know, dunking a basketball. And so they're paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars for that clip because now they, oh. own, they own that moment in, in digital history. I'm like, yeah, that's not, that doesn't evoke emotion. That just... <laughs> Right. Well, and that's not, well, I'm like, my first reaction to the, the basketball is that's not fair if they're not going to let other people see that moment in history. 
<laughs> I think they're probably going to run off and try to, to charge people if they see it on a news clip. They'll say, hey, by the way, uh, you never asked me for my permission for that for that clip. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's the route they're going to go, but I'm just like, really? Like, this is, I don't know. It's, for me, it's, it's kind of overkill. It's about basically we have too much money and let's just figure out a way to spend it. You know, sort of like even if you look at the uh, church in Notre Dame in, in, in Paris, right? I mean, yes, it caught on fire. Yes, I agree, you know, but I mean, the amount of money it raised like within a weekend for a church versus, you know, the fires uh, that have been going on worldwide, including the Amazon, didn't, nobody stepped forward, you know, like, but this church was going on fire, all these billionaires, because so, I think there was one billionaire because now he's going to have his plaque with his name, like on one of the walls. <laughs> it's like, I know, you know, I, I paid for part of this, you know, reconstruction and just like, it's all about money. It's not about, I don't know, there's this, like I said, this connection with everybody else, connection with the planet, connection with other humans. It's just, it's been lost. Yeah. Well, and people's priorities. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you love about creativity? You said how it is a representation of what its creator, of its creator's mind. So does that mean like you like how it reflects the the original person who made it yeah because i mean there's there's times like i mean like take for example every breath you take by the police right people were using that as a wedding song but you know sting <laughs> has over and over again this is about a stalker right so <laughs> his creative in his creative mind he was writing a song about a stalker and again you put it out there and people make it what they want it to be right and that's the part about creativity it's it's become something different for everybody out there which i think is great because it's sort of like this was my vision that came out and you see it your way great this is this is the whole part of the you know it's become something unique for you it's like i didn't see it from that in that in that way excellent that that is super interesting now that you bring that up is that so many people saw it in like a romanticized way despite <laughs> despite it being about a stalker it's like are our relationships that messed up <laughs> i'm not gonna answer that one <laughs> and then you have what do you hate about creativity how it can be diluted by those who want to monetize it which you talked a bit about what would you do you have advice for anybody who who's in the creative business or a creative business and needs to make money by it, how not to get jaded by that or how to focus on their own voice? It's tough because, it, you know, everybody's in a different situation. And yes, there are some people that, that are great at basically doing that. Not to say they're not being creative. You know, pe there's people that do jingles and jingles is, is a very tough thing to do because you have to create a very, uh, you know, infectious hook in a very short period of time, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that on a regular basis. It's just too much work for me. But like I said, for somebody else, that might be what his gift is, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't take away from something for me. I don't want to go into something where somebody's paying me to, to come up with something. But like I said, I did it. So it's not like I, I can say I never did it. I did it. And I was able to do it. It just it didn't ring right with me. But, you know, teach his own. Mm -hmm. And then where is your creativity? I think of myself as a channeler. I receive information and then present it in a form some can appreciate and others do not. And I like that you added that at the end too, because I think that trips some people up that they, they pour so much of themselves into something and then it goes out and some people don't like it. 
but that's just the fact of life. <laughs> like not everyone's going to enjoy what you put out there. So if you can kind of get over that, I think that because that, that seems to be a big block for a lot of people is the feedback that they get from others. But how do you handle it? My younger self had a hard time with it because artists are insecure and you want to please everybody, right? That's your, your initial, at least, like I said, I'm generalizing, but you, usually when you're starting off in any kind of business, you're, you're ready to bend over backwards to get something out there. You will, you will sacrifice some creativity in order to get it out there because you're like, okay, you know what? You know, eventually I'll be able to do what I want to do, but right now I can't, I need the money and and so you, you, you do it that way, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough. So you have to kind of like set a goal. You have to do what's right for you. But if you're really starting to really rely on what other people are saying all the time, no, it's really like, you know, when somebody, you know, I, I listen to people's songs, I'll give them my uh, honest, um, you know, opinion of it. But again, I mean, there's songs out there that, I think are complete crap, but are like number one hits, right? So it's like, what do I know? It's, this is what I, you know, for me, this is a crap song. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that everything has an audience. So it doesn't matter what you're gonna produce out there. You might have an audience of one, but you might have an audience of a million and you don't know unless you put it out there. So just just keep creating and and, and the more you create, the, the better you get at it and the more confident you get in yourself. And like I said, I'm at a point now where I really don't care what other people think. It doesn't affect me whatsoever. I get people saying, oh, you know, but your, your voice really sucks or whatever. And like, yeah, okay, that's great. That's the way you feel. It's, it's fine. But my song's playing on the radio. So that's why I'm okay with that. Right. <laughs> so somebody's playing it and that's, you know, so you, like you said, you can't please everybody and you know, you have to be, uh, satisfied with your with your your work and my thing success is not about how many hits it gets or if it goes viral for me success is finishing it once it's finished after that whatever happens is is, is a plus like it for me it's like I finished I wrote it I recorded it and I put it on iTunes that's it that's that's my job like yeah. as far as I'm concerned that's all I have to do I'm not putting it out there because I'm expecting a return the return is, it's out there. That very well said. I find myself in those modes. At like, nobody's telling me to create this. I'm doing this completely on my own terms. And I, I've kind of set a goal, a goalpost for myself. And once that's done, I'm good. <laughs> well, we're running out of time. I'm wondering, was there anything that you wanted to highlight that you weren't able to? The only thing really is, like I said, I'm doing a lot of collaborations, which I enjoy doing. I have a song coming out at the end of the month for, with an artist called I Hate Me from Indonesia. So we have a song coming out that said, I Can Never Be The One, which is a future bass uh, song. And uh, there's another track I'm working on with a couple of guys called The Mama Already Gave You Some. He had the title and I just came up with the melody and did a, a rap on that one. So that one's sort of, sort of like a a funk rock type song. And so those are like my two collaborations that I'm, I'm pretty happy with that are coming out soon. Very cool. And I know they're not out. Will they be out on like uh, YouTube or Amazon or how do they come out? Uh, they come out on uh, well, YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, Deezer, I think, and a couple of other, other digital distribution channels. Okay, great. I'll be sure to 
Do you know how soon they'll be out? On the 24th of April is when I could never be the one. This, the the uh, videos are already done. I already did the videos because I do all the videos myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are going to be coming out. That's coming out probably in about a week's time. I usually release it about a, a two weeks, a week or two weeks before the song comes out. And that one, I'm, again, like I said, when you collaborate with other people, it just basically, it's a song that I would never have written otherwise. It's a complete different style. I mean, I didn't even know what Future Bass was until, you know, it was kind of, I started looking it up and hearing the kind of stuff that this artist was doing. So he does all the music, he does the production. Like I said, he's in Indonesia. So again, it's like, it's just incredible that in today's world, you can do stuff like this. Yeah. Collaborations just through the internet share the tracks I record here he records there it's 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 amazing like I said even like a couple of years ago I worked with this guy uh, Kevin Reeves we Reeves where we did uh, a full blues blues rock album we did nine songs there we did three progressive rock songs together he's an amazing guitar player and just it's, it's, I, I find that you know it's an outlet that not many people are really taking advantage of it's collaborations are just amazing because it takes you really out of your comfort zone. It, you're working with somebody else. You're sharing, you're, you know, it's two, two creative people with two creative backgrounds that are now creating one, you know, one, you know, one art piece. So it's like, I, I, I'm really enjoying that. That's, I'm glad that you brought that up too. There's, what is it called? Record? Stop and record. There's an actor. <laughs> Man, I, my, my words are failing me today, but there's a whole website that is based on collaboration. Like, let's say a person puts out a photograph and then they have other people alter it in some way, or one person starts a a video and then other people from, you know, whoever just signs onto this website can add to this video and then they make a complete video. And it's all about collaborating. So I, when I remember the, the name, stop record. Anyway, uh. <laughs> I did a project like that. It was actually it's a movie called Fifty Kisses, where pretty much. So in the end, it ended up in the Guinness Book of World Records because it's the first feature with fifty-one writers. Oh wow! Uh, and you know, we're probably like I don't know. 60 directors because like I said everybody was open to everybody around the world we all filmed like a scene and then you know they they pieced it together and you know a UK project but again fun right because you're basically you're taking part in in a larger you know and there's things like that where you're doing books where somebody's writing a page and the next person writing the second page I think it's incredible because you're you know you're you're trying to basically put this one art thing together but you've got like you know whatever 50 60 people involved it's and you know bravo like it's it's it's, it's insane yeah and it can be so much fun too because sometimes when you're working on something on your by yourself for long periods of time I mean it can be like I need someone to talk to (laughs) I I need some feedback (laughs) I mean it's fun to work alone but you know, like there's a, an artist from uh, the 70s while well, he's still around, uh, Dan Hill, and I got to meet him. He had a song called Sometimes When We Touch, which was a big hit. And he was doing a songwriting uh, seminar and he kind of played us what the original song was. 
and then he played what happened when he they brought in a, a composer to work with him and that was the song that was actually released and they're two completely different songs completely oh. different and then you can really see how much that a collaboration took that song to a whole different level to the point that i mean the melodies were different the words are still the same but the direction of the song and everything and it's just like yeah it's like he was like my song's done like i don't need help you know he's like i already wrote the song and then he brought this guy in and then you know he started listening to what the guy was doing to the song he's like holy shit he goes he actually paid attention to my style and figured out a way to to make the song really fit my style but at the same time making it so commercially viable that you know it was a major hit right mm. so and that's what collaborations do it takes it takes you out of your comfort zone like i said it makes you think outside of the box and makes you create something that you never would have created otherwise uh, and that other person too would never have created otherwise because if they work with another artist with that same song it would be a whole different thing yeah so it's like it's it's for me it's just it's just great to be able to work with somebody and and, and uh, tap into to a part of me that i don't really feel too comfortable with just because it's like this is not my usual style but i still feel it I, I, i'm not just working on it because i want to work you know i am looking for work i'm working on it because there's something in there that i'm feeling mm. and i know i can add to it otherwise i wouldn't take part in it well thank you thank you and what it just it sounds like such a beautiful process too yes thank you again for being a guest on the show and I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope our listeners do too. And of course, I will be putting the links in the description. Thank you. It was nice talking to you. And thank you again, Araco Palo, for being on the show. I don't know about you, audience, but for me, uh, one of the highlights, even though we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about it, was when Rocco talked about how that family had such a tragedy and how he was inspired to write music and then ended up connecting with the family. I thought that was just such a beautiful story. Um, Maybe you can write a book about that next. Uh, It's just, uh, I really enjoyed hearing about his life and about collaboration and just his beautiful outlook on life. And uh, I hope you did too. Uh, And next week, we will start season three. So thank you. And of course, uh, you can find Rocco at all the links that will be in the description. Have a great day.